From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in sad, lonely Minneapolis, this is Nice Game Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Dale LaCroix, and I playtest nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are bad game design and character design. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Yay! <laughs> that, was, that was a little time. You were like, let's start. And then it was like, da 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 When you did it. I, I did practice. <laughs> that didn't mean okay. I didn't stumble over words, but it did mean I got that timing right. I was like, I know when it ends. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You were saying you were like practicing on, because uh, you didn't have the music. So you were practicing on different uh, episodes. Uh, episodes that we yeah, had. Yeah, I was talking over Mark, and Mark <laughs> talks very fast. Yeah, he does. And he Sometimes. enunciates really well mm-hmm. for talking as fast as he does. So it, and then it's also hard to talk over somebody who's saying <laughs> the same things you are, only faster. Right, right. <laughs> so it's really funny. Anyway, enunciation is not my strong suit. That's okay. Anyway, I'm here because Mark, we're recording on the same day we did our last episode, which was the GGC special, and yes. Mark is still in San Francisco, which is also why Minneapolis is sad and lonely, no. at least oh. for me. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um, so, yes, so Mark is in here, and we are all we all miss him. But we miss will, you, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> I guess he'll be here by the time this episode is out. So. He's here already. Welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, Martha, you have a talk coming up. Yeah. So me and my brother are giving a talk at Mini WebCon. It's on April 23rd. It's a Monday. Um, and I've been given a code that I can give out to my friends, which includes all you listeners. Um, oh, you have get- a lot of friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so if you use the code FRIENDS50, we'll put that in the show notes, um, at checkout, you'll get $50 off. What is MiniWebCon? It's a local web development um, conference. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's kind of expensive. It looks like the tickets are between $120 and $300, depending on how much you're paying for. Um, so hopefully this will help out. Yeah, yeah. $50 uh, off is not bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Way to be Martha's friend. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a topic. I'm talking about bad game design. Okay. So, so. S- Steven, how, how do you design bad games? <laughs> Very carefully. No. <laughs> um, um, I want to I wanna put a disclaimer in the beginning where we're, we're not going to, we're going to try to be as nice about games as possible. Because we are nice games club after all, boy. Oh. <laughs> right. Okay. So two of us are nice. Games. <laughs> if I want to be invited back, I will try to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But like, we're not going to be sitting here ragging on games for thirty minutes because I just talk about Un- Uncharted all the time, and that wouldn't be fun. Well, maybe it would be fun. Whoa! Shots fired. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I want to specifically talk about like. The difference between a, a game that like has bad game design and a game in which it has made decisions that you don't like, because it's sometimes the the line between them is blurry, right? Because mm-hmm. like for example, I don't like Uncharted games specifically because they never like the gameplay is boring and stuff, and the narrative always feels divorced from the gameplay. But I know a lot of people who love 
Uncharted, specifically because the gameplay isn't as important to them, and really the game is more about that narrative stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and it meshes well with them. So, I guess my question is like, it's it's a bad game for Steven, not yes. a bad game. Yes, exactly. And that's sometimes hard to. De- divorce in your head because you are steven mm-hmm. <laughs> i can't be anybody but steven it is mm-hmm. true <laughs> as much as i've tried <laughs> no. um, yeah and so i guess I'm, I, I'm curious like how do you when you're approaching games when you're playing them how do you divorce yourself from that i guess it, particularly from like a game designer or game developer game play tester perspective uh how do you approach it a lot of the games that I don't like, a lot of other people do like. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of pressure from the other people to see that, like, obviously there has to be some merit to it for them to be popular. Like, for example, 2D Mario games, I do not like. Yes. And I have not gotten past the first level on most of them. And Same here. <laughs> and, but apparently they're they're rad and everybody loves them. So there has to be something there that's cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just not cool for me and Dale, I guess. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Right. And I guess I want to know like more about that. Like what don't you like about that? And do you think that it's poor design on Nintendo's part or just something you don't like? I think it's bad games for Dale and bad game for Martha, not a bad game design. Okay. More holy. Yeah, I think what I didn't like about it is when I was growing up, I didn't have a Nintendo. And so playing a 2D Mario game where the two player version where I'm playing it at a friend's house, mm-hmm. where the back and forth is based on levels and di- dying, mm-hmm. where when you die, it's the other person's turn. And when you don't own the system, you're going to die a lot yeah. and almost immediately so you don't have time or chance to get better. That's not fun. Yeah. But it's it's more of that it's a two-player game and so I never picked it up and I never wanted to play more of it mm. and so that that's a fault of the game in the two-player mode that isn't necessarily a fault in the one-player mode. Sure. But then it kind of turned me off to that idea in general. Yeah. And there was a lot of falling in holes and going back to the beginning. And and then, like, once a level is beat, then you don't get the easy levels again. And then you die even more immediately. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then it's you're watching your friend play a two-player Mario game where they're Mario and you're a dead Luigi. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> right. But I, I think that, like, I think what you brought up is important. Like, there can be certain decisions. Um, like, the whole overall game can be good, but like, there might be certain decisions that are made that mm-hmm. um, can immediately turn you off from the game. Like, for example, the the way that they handled the two player mode in that game. Uh, it's not very. It's not approachable for newcomers. It um, is not. Yeah. So, like, you had a very this, and this was your first experience playing Mario. Yep. Yeah. So, like, the, you don't. When you've just uh, you're just trying to play this game and like somebody's clearly played it a lot and has experience and is able to get through the levels and you're just trying to figure things out on your own, that doesn't lead to a very good uh, onboarding experience, and that's unfortunate. Like I don't, I don't. I, that's I would agree with that in that I think that the game is supposed to be approachable. It's a Mario game, so if it doesn't have that approachability, then I would argue that it is bad game design. So that is one example. 
<laughs> Martha, would you like to talk about why Mario is a bad game for Martha? <laughs> um, I felt like, well, I've been told that the one particular Mario that I was playing is especially bad at this uh, particular thing that I don't like, which is like, uh, it felt like I would land and then Mario would slide farther than I had wanted him to go. Mm-hmm. It felt like I couldn't ever control where he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I felt like it was unfair <laughs> because I felt like I was doing the right button presses at the right times, mm-hmm. but it wasn't ever working. Like I would land and then immediately fall off and yeah. then have to start over again. Yeah, And so uh, I couldn't get through most of the levels that had any tricky like up and down platforming or anything because I would just fall. Mm. And so that again, yeah, as I've been told, this far. was, <laughs> yeah, this is, this was a, a game boy version of, or a game boy color version of some, I can't remember which was it. Was Mario. that super Mario land? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And everybody's like, Oh, that's a bad one. And I'm like, Oh, well <laughs> again, like Dale, like that was my first experience mm-hmm. with it. And I'm like, well, obviously all of them are like this. And mm-hmm. so I'm never going to play any Mario again. And I hate Mario and went on like a whole rant about how I hate Mario. Yes. But then I played the switch version of Mario and I'm like, man, Mario is awesome. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that's important. Like if, if you make certain decisions that I, I think a lot of the decisions come down to like, uh, onboarding experiences and stuff. So uh, uh, for those who don't know, onboarding experience is like how people, their first time playing the game, how quickly they learn how the game works and how quickly they're able to approach challenges and do things in the game. Um, and it seems like the, 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 the experience both of you had with Mario turned you off from all Mario games immediately. Mm-hmm. And that's not good. Uh, yeah, and, and I think like as, as game developers, we should, just be, we should just pay attention to that and try to keep in mind that there are going to be new people playing your game as well, so you have to keep that in mind. Um, with Vengeance, for example, like we tried to make that game uh, approachable by simplifying controls. You make it really only need to pay attention to A button to shoot, and then left and right for your two gadgets, and then moving around. Uh, and your gadgets will do different things, and there are characters that have more uh, complicated control schemes and less complicated control schemes, but like those come later in the game. So we've tried to make the, the first experience that people have with the game as approachable as possible in order to make it fun. Um, mm-hmm. That was that's that's been a design goal. We try to make it simple because Fendance is, I guess it's kind of straight a little bit from that. But we initially planned for Fendance to be more of a party game sort of thing, um, where people could just jump in and try to and play it and understand things. And it, it seems like in demos and stuff, people get that right pretty well. Uh, but it it's also like straight a bit from that in that like we've added um, a bunch of content and the game is probably a bit harder than we. Uh, would like at this point, but we're, we're adjusting it as appropriate. But yeah, um, I think that's important. I think that like that's important to think about is mm-hmm. what how to how to uh how people are first going to experience the game. I think that's a lot of this. Uh, what other kinds of games do you, what other games do you think have bad game design? <laughs> uh, I wrote down a couple examples from when I was a kid yeah. that I remembered just having a terrible time with. Mm-hmm. And one was a CD-ROM game called Return to Zork. Mm. And this was a game that my father got for us because I remember he he said that uh, that Zork was a very good game. And so he got us Return to Zork. And 
So I watched some Let's Plays of it, and like I remember, and it turns out me and my brother got a lot further than I remembered. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't like about it, it's a point and click mm-hmm. adventure game. And what I didn't like about it is it doesn't follow that standard diamond shaped. Um, what do you call that? Um, 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 oh, puzzle yeah. dependency, the, puzzle dependency. Puzzle dependency. Oh, yeah, yeah we talked where about you that start on show, out right? with only a few puzzles to solve, and then you have a whole lot of puzzles where you could solve them, and then it narrows down at the end of the game to just one final puzzle. Yeah, this is a game where you start out and you like you're you're at the top of a a, a mountain pass, and then you go down this hill, and then. You make this raft with some some boards, and then you hop on the raft, and then you get off the raft on this, like, half of a city, and you can't ever go back up. Mm. So you've solved, like, these little puzzles, and, like, it's just, it's basically one puzzle at a time, kind of. Mm-hmm. And then you're stuck in this half of a city for a long time. And all I remember is being stuck in that half of a city for a very long time. I didn't remember the part about being upstream, but yeah. like at that point when you're stuck in that half a city, you would think that, well, what if I missed grabbing an item from way up at the top of that mountain? Yeah. That's and that's not how the way the real world world works. You don't like you don't walk down the street and you can never walk back <laughs> <laughs> to get that thing that you <laughs> you forgot to pick up. Mm-hmm. And um and some of the puzzles were, you know, like we ended up solving a bunch of the puzzles, but there was some like some point where you, it just gets bottlenecked at so many points Yeah, where we got bottlenecked at some point where we couldn't get through a door and then we're just sitting there forever. And then we were like, oh, I give up on this game. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> and there were, there were also a lot of points where you could, um, well, you could dive apparently because that's a Zork game where you die a lot. Which is okay. But there was like a point where you could scare off this like kid living under the bridge if you uh-huh. if you reacted to him in a threatening manner. Uh-huh. And then he would be gone for the rest of the game and he ne- had something that you needed but you wouldn't know it until the end of the game. And that's kind of creating an unwinnable situation which I put in the, the bad game design <laughs> category. Yes. Where you would you wouldn't even know that if you scared away that that kid from underneath that bridge, right. that you've created an unwinnable situation until way a, later, way later until you've gotten very frustrated with mm-hmm. a lot of things. But mm-hmm. yeah, like watching the last plays, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. And there's like this guy who's like, you go to his like old mill, and he like first thing you come through the door, and he's like, want some rye? Of course you do. <laughs> Like as a kid, and you're like, it's teaching me to drink. I mean, it's also (laughs) teaching me the consequences of drinking because I have one drink, and then I'm like passed out behind that building. Oh my goodness! The next scene. That's something else. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But it's it's pretty funny. But I was like, okay, no wonder I did not like get this game because we almost got it, but then Mm -hmm. not quite. So that's the one one of the things that I like. I definitely put in bad game design. Yeah, um, I think when when talking about bad game design, I think it's important, and I've said this so many times that like you know you have to make sure you know what you're trying to do with your game, and then make decisions based off of that. So like with Return to Zork, I mean, it's not, I don't I don't I'm not familiar with this game at all. I think we should post a video or something on the show notes. Maybe do a nice place. 
Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think that was one of the games we mentioned in that, uh, that was mentioned in that article about puzzle design. Oh. Um, about having a, a puzzle that was had a lot of context that you needed to know. Okay. I think that had something to do with Zork, the baseball puzzle. Oh, oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. I definitely did not get that part. <laughs> that might have been from the original Zork and not Return oh, okay. to Zork. In this game, you, um, it sounds like you want to get people to like, I mean, be able to make all these decisions and be able to make choices that will impact later on and find these items that they need to ahead of time. But like there are decisions that they made, for example, this cutoff point where you can't return mm-hmm. to the other half of the game that make that difficult. Yeah. It makes it frustrating um, if you've gone through the game and you miss that part um, to, to, to have to try to. Can you even solve the puzzles at that point if you didn't pick up everything you needed to? I don't know. I didn't get that far. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, yeah, like that's, those are, those are the kinds of things. Those are those frustrating pieces that like will get people to stop playing your game for a while. And that the, especially if that's not what your game is going for frustration, because sometimes that is a thing you want in your game. Uh-huh. Getting over it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, yeah, that's, a, that's something I want to yeah. too. And then well, we stopped playing that game and we started playing Miss because, that mm-hmm. does have a better, like, that diamond structure game where yeah. after you solve the first few puzzles, you get way more to solve. And mm-hmm. so then if you're not getting one right away, you have a lot of other things to try. And right. In the meantime, yep. rather than just, like, bang your head against the wall about one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, that's I noticed that a lot of uh, point and clicks do that, is they'll have... Like you'll start out with real simple puzzles and then eventually branch out into a bunch of different things you can do at any given point. But uh, you can take your time and pick something you feel is more important or if you're, have, if you're struggling with the puzzle, you can try other things. And that might lead you to uh, understand a solution for the puzzle in the past or when you come back to it, you'll get it or something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's good. I think that's important for uh, point and click. So like I, I would argue that that is a good example of game design. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and maybe we should go over this list of things that yeah do. you have tetris on here i oh do i knew it would be controversial yeah it's real controversial dale i know because it has a lot of really good things uh-huh. but you get to some point and those blocks are just coming so fast uh-huh. that all you can do is like try to fling them off to the right or the left to just save you those like few extra seconds uh-huh. and i think that's bad game design uh-huh. because it's really fun up into the point until it like it comes at you so fast and there's nothing you can do. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just not human skill time-wise. Uh, do you, ha- you have another opinion? I, I do. I disagree okay, with t- that. Tell me about it. <laughs> I like the prompting. That's fun. Uh, <laughs> I think that like, like you're supposed to, with Tetris, like uh, you're, the way you play it is like you just... Um, play it a bunch until you get better at it and you can get a higher score on all this. But like, it seems to me like the, the aim of the game in Tetris is to uh, keep playing it and, um, and hone your skills to the point where like you can get better at adjusting to that point where the speed is so insane that you can barely react. Like I think I, my, my brother plays Tetris all the time and it, yeah. it, eventually it almost feels like a uh, routine for him to do a lot of the things that he does uh-huh. in that. Like he'll get an L block. It's like, Oh, I got to put this here. And get a line block. He goes, yes. And then I can get a Tetris or whatever. Um, and so like, he's oh, just. Oh, is that what the, they're called? <laughs> yeah. When you get four blocks, it's a te- if you get four rows in a row with the L block, it's a Tetris. Oh. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they call it. In the, I don't know. 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> in the Tetris lore. Yes, in the Tetris lore. Ooh. <laughs> um, but like he, he's played it to the point where like it's 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 become second nature for him to do all those things. And I think like a lot of people have brought this up, like the the Tetris effect, where like you're daydreaming about Tetris because uh-huh. you played it so much and stuff. Like I think there's a there's like a, a Zen state that you get into mm-hmm. Tetris where like you've just played it to the point where you can just go through the motions. Mm-hmm. And uh, do the best at that point, um, and I think that the the speed increasing like uh, reinforces that a lot. Yeah, I think that the speed increasing is good for mm-hmm. that. But I think at some point, and I don't know what version of Tetris I was playing sure. versus what what version of Tetris you guys played. Yeah, but like mine just went so fast. It like it just like it's like there was not time between the pieces. Mm-hmm. It was just stacking. Sure. Okay, and it, yeah, it might very well be, uh, depend on the ter- version of Tetris because not all mm. Tetris games are the same. That's true. There are That's some Tetris true. games that barely run. <laughs> <laughs> I heard there, there's a Tetris game on on the PS Vita that, like, if you have a lot of friends, it's extremely laggy for some reason. I don't oh, know why that's because it really wants to show all your friends you're playing Tetris. I guess maybe I don't know. <laughs> huh. I played Tetris on my graphing calculator. <laughs> Oh really? Yay. Yeah, that's, that's cool. actually the only place I've ever played it. <laughs> <laughs> but then the blocks aren't even different colors. No, it's great, <laughs> and it doesn't go very fast either. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember the speeding up thing. Yeah, but I mean, I guess it just depends on. I imagine that when people are making a new Tetris game, like they have the base formula down, right? They mm-hmm. already know what they want to make, but like maybe they have a additional goal or separate goals in mind when they're developing the game that will lead them into making the game increases the speed in which you can barely react to it. Like you're talking about Dale, uh-huh. or maybe they'll make it so that it's slower paced so that um, it's more of a relaxing uh, game and you can get into the flow, but you can just play it until you don't want to play it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I think it just depends on, it largely just depends on what you're trying to make. I kind of agree with Dale that if it becomes like, if the speed never stops mm-hmm. going faster, there's a certain point in which, yeah, humans can't actually react as that fast, so it's mm-hmm. like impractical for it to be, you know, that fast. Yeah, I guess then the challenge at that point is to see how long you can last. It will be four seconds or five seconds this time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, and that can be fun for certain people too. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Maybe it could be a tool to uh, increase reaction time or something. Yes, exactly. It could very maybe, well be like that. Or maybe it's really a Zen tool to teach you you, you can't control anything. Yeah. <laughs> At some right. point. Let go of your feelings. <laughs> All the blocks are going to come at yes. you. <laughs> Everything comes to an end. <laughs> I like that. Um, so, Dale, you listed a bunch of concepts and stuff in this topic. Oh, yeah. Even though the- this is my topic. <laughs> well, it's just fine. It's fine. I come prepared. You do. You come. Yeah, you edited this whole script and everything, and I appreciate well, that. Well, it's also because I feel I feel inadequate because I'm not actually a game dev. You 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 play games, but I play you games. test games. Yes, you are number one play tester, Dale. Thank you. You have some merit. Don't let <laughs> you. don't sell yourself short. <laughs> yes, but you you listed some concepts here. Uh, you want to go over them? Um. Okay. What's my first concept? Your first concept. <laughs> unwinnable situations. Ah, yes. So like, for example, in that Zork game, you yeah. games, you, areas you couldn't go back to 
or things like you couldn't you couldn't get stuff at mm-hmm. a certain point. Yeah, um, or I also want to say things where like things seem to happen to you at random. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what's coming. Like the one really bad game design example I think that comes up a lot is mm-hmm. that E.T. game where ah. you fall in a hole for no reason a lot. Yes. <laughs> I think that was that I think that can safely be put in the bad game design for everyone category. <laughs> yeah, apparently there's a whole bunch of systems and rules in place and it all makes sense if you have like the rule book, but it's even then it didn't make sense what? or something. I don't know. Okay. It's very confusing. Now I want to link to that because I remember reading about it and like somebody had, I don't think they had a rule book, but like they played the game enough to the point where they understood how the game worked. And I think they were like, no, this is still really stupid, but this is how it works. Uh, so I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll link to something about that because I think that's cool or at least interesting um, but yeah um, I noticed you brought up a lot that like it's it's about like the people how, understanding of the game like like mm-hmm. how how when you when you start the game like if a thing makes sense to you or if it if it makes sense to you in the moment or if it makes sense to you as a player um, if it doesn't make sense to you then you consider that bad I mean most of the time that's bad Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes, I don't know. Sometimes it could be good too. Yeah. I also wrote down no clear win situation. Okay. And I kind of felt like this was bad game design just because it's hard for players to know what the goal is yeah. or when the game is over or what they're going for. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about one of those, what's it, Kobayashi Maru situations? Where you, oh, you just can't where you, where you're always gonna lose, mm-hmm. kind of like Tetris. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I thought you were calling out Mark because this game doesn't have a stated win condition. Oh, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, is that an example of bad game design? No. It might be. <laughs> shade. Or maybe it's just a topic to talk about. Because like my example mm-hmm. of this was Donkey Kong, because if you ever saw that um I'll call it Fistful of Quarters or that documentary yeah. about the Donkey Kong, it's really interesting because at the end there isn't like a windscreen. It the system just runs out of memory. And I think that's crazy. <laughs> I mean it makes sense because that's how things were and it's mm-hmm. great that they just wanted to keep going mm-hmm. and then it just they never expected people to win, get that far right but that's kind of crazy yeah that was yeah that, that was a limitation of the technology at the time mm-hmm. right yeah kill screens is what those were called yeah uh yeah it's the the end of the game is a kill screen mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is that's that's how it's just like tetris in fact <laughs> uh, sort of i guess to a point like you have to end because tetris yeah. will just make you end mm-hmm. so same with donkey kong except it just crashes it's just yeah. like i can't take this anymore i'm done so it just forces you out of it. too many bananas <laughs> <laughs> too many bananas just can't do it um yeah i i guess what i hmm, boy okay this do you is disagree a, with this this uh, this thought i don't necessarily disagree with this thought and i i think what i'm trying to say and i've been i, I almost scatterbrained in how i've been saying it maybe but what I want to say is that I feel like there's no such thing as a bad game mechanic. I feel like there are bad game design decisions. Uh-huh. Um, and so, like, for example, tripping on the street 
in your game may or may not be a good thing depending on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to simulate uh, New York walking down the street, I don't know, and people trip down the street sometimes. Maybe that's part of it. I've done that. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And so in some ways it could be fun. Maybe you trip and uh, you find $20 when you trip. I don't know. Uh, and then it could be fun. Or, it could be or maybe thing. it could be a mechanic for finding the hidden object or whatever. Yeah. So you have to go around until you trip. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a very, that's much better than what I said. <laughs> but like, um, so, walk around and not so you trip eventually. Yeah. <laughs> right. So like in that example, it could be a good thing. It could be a fun thing. It could be an experience for your game. But like in Super Smash Brothers Brawl, for example, tripping was a bad idea because it's a fighting game and you need your controls to be precise. You need to feel like you're in control of your character for the most part, unless there's like randomization involved in that. Sometimes it's the case. But in, in, in Super Smash Brothers Brawl, there's a chance whenever you start running that you'll trip. It's a small chance, but like it can happen. And it has cost people games in professional like gameplay uh, oh. because of this tripping and stuff. And that would be an example of bad game design, I would say. But I guess what, yeah. So like, basically, my whole stance on this is you like. Don't think it's like a risk versus reward calculation? No. <laughs> No, like, I don't personally think that. Like, I am in Super Smash Brothers Brawl, mm-hmm. and running will get me this, but there's this very small chance that I will also trip. Yeah. And so, what am I going to do? I should run versus not. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> are you trying to trap me, Dale? Is that I'm, I'm not. I'm just, just uh, playing devil's advocate. Ah, okay. Well, that's fair. <laughs> um, I, I think I think that like in in certain situations it could be the case. Like for example, uh, in Super Smash Brothers, Luigi has the Luigi missile thing, and it has a chance. I think it's like a seven percent chance where when you do the um, when you do this move, it'll like explode and go really fast and really far and almost instantly KO people with it and stuff. And so sometimes people will like hope that they get that and they'll like go for the combo that triggers it. Um, uh-huh. And then sometimes they do, and it's like woo, but like. The chance in tripping is small enough where, like, you will almost always take the risk, and so when it happens, it just feels terrible. Ah, uh, just so, just like tripping in real life. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, yes. <laughs> it's a very small chance, but it does feel terrible when it happens. It does feel terrible to fall flat on your face. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, I could see that in that context, though. That's like super. Like, there's no game design purpose for that to be there except yeah. for it to screw someone over randomly. Yes, exactly. That's what it felt like and that's that's how a lot of game uh pro professional uh players felt. It was cuz uh Shiro Sakurai was trying to make the game um he was trying to make the game uh better for uh people who have just started the game so like everybody had a chance at winning. And like items and stuff do a lot of that. Um I think so I don't necessarily think that they had to implement it in like the movement of the game as well, um, and any, but yeah, that would be an, an example of bad game design. I would argue. That's my feeling. <laughs> That's your stance, and you're sticking to it. Yes, and I'm not going to trip on that on that stance. <laughs> but I, I, I want to know: do you do you two feel that like is there is there such a thing as a bad game mechanic? Yeah, like one that's universally bad. Yes, no matter what design it's implemented into. Yes, and I mean. It's also like there are certain things like like maybe hate speech and stuff. Those are probably bad universally. 
But is that a mechanic? No, I guess it's not a mechanic. Unless that mechanic, unless that's like an aspect of. Yeah. Well, the game I had in mind also, mm-hmm. that I, you just made me think of, it was this game about uh, police shootings. Yeah. And you can't win it mm. uh, to show that there's no right thing to say. Like, it's not the fault of the person who got killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's a one thing where, like, winning winning would ruin that design. So, yeah. having no win condition actually is the point of the game. Right. So, yeah, you could come up with a game for almost any mechanic. I'm trying, like, I'm racking my brain for something that would be really bad in all contexts. Right. And I've struggled with this myself. I, I, that's why I feel pretty strongly that like there is no such thing as a bad game mechanic, just bad game design and implementation. Well, if, if listeners, if you think of any mechanics that would be universally bad, (laughs) please tweet them at us at nice games club. When you're designing your bad game, you probably need some bad characters. <laughs> did, did I do it right? <laughs> Good job. Seal of approval. <laughs> right, the seal of approval. I like it. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah, so I wanted to talk about character design um, and sort of not specific about any d- different aspect of it because there are a lot of different aspects of character Uh design but just a a sort of broad overview of the different things that you think about when you're creating characters or that uh, examples of of cool characters that we have found yeah um and i at first i thought i would talk just about like predefined characters um that you either play or are in the world but i started playing sea of thieves recently oh uh which is a pirate game yeah and the first thing that happens is you have to pick your pirate from the pi- infinite pirate generator. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> which is just uh, randomly generated pirates. Um, and you can re you can, you get a choice between like six of them and then you can lock some in uh, or re-roll all of them. Uh, and so you can just go through over and over again, having, yeah. having it regenerate characters. Um, and so my character is, uh, I named her Granny Crime. Granny and, Crime. That's yes. wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a super old lady. And it's great. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> um, so that's that that's a a unique way that I've because we've talked about character gener- character like creators before. Yeah. Um, but that's an example of a, a character that you get to choose yourself. But also has an aspect of the of the predefined um, characteristics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I personally feel conflicted about that thing because, like, on one hand, I I like enjoy, I kind of enjoy like spending a bunch of time customizing my character and stuff. Uh, but at the same time, you can also customize your character in a way that it like feels mismatched from the game. And I think that that would that's what they were trying to avoid, where people could make their own character, but also not. They're also like them all fit within the world of Sea of Thieves. But like, I feel like I would constantly be flipping between them and be like, oh, this one's not quite right. And uh, uh, I don't like that one. Eh." And you just keep doing it over and over again. And there was a post on the Sea of Thieves subreddit that was like, six hours in, I still haven't picked my (laughs) pirate yet. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) What I found 
interesting is that first I thought I would not like this because I was like, well, either you got to be able to pick what your character looks like or get, be given a predefined character. Like, I didn't think that you could have something in between that would like really make me feel connected to the character. Mm-hmm. But all these the characters that it rolls have like these really like you can see a personality and a story in them. Uh, okay. And so like, it took me a long time. It took me like an hour to figure out which one I wanted. Mm-hmm. Oh, that uh, is a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and Dylan was like, come on, I want to play because it's a multiplayer game. Yeah. Yeah. It um, would be like five to 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's so cool. Cause like now that I'm playing the character, I have like all her attributes. I've like, she has this uh, backstory and stuff that I've to come up with in my head that mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have like come up with as much if I had been able to, to pick exactly what she looked like. Like I don't know if I would have gone with an old lady. Oh, I prob- it's me. I probably would have. But <laughs> so that's one way of, of approaching a character design that is totally cool and unique. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely unique. I don't know if it's cool, but it seems like it worked for you though, right? I think it's cool, except for that guy who spent six hours doing it. (laughs) I think that's a little too much. I think an hour is a little too much, but I think it is cool because it kind of forced you to choose something that you would not usually choose. That's a very good point. And and then then exploring a different way to play that character as Mm -hmm. well as as opened you up to a different backstory. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. So if you do go with with designing fully designed characters, there's like different ways to approach how you're designing them, like mm-hmm. the visual design, mm-hmm. the personality and dialogue. If they talk, um, making them stand out visually from each other, both or like personality wise from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and earlier you were talking about, uh, not on the show, but before the show, yeah. someone was talking about uh, like different shapes Yes. Of characters? Was that you? Sam? That was me. Yes. So I, I read somewhere and I found an article and I will post it on the, the show notes. Um, but like a lot of times when you're designing a character, you can use certain shapes to uh, immediately give a person a, an impression on their personality traits. So uh, it seems like there are three main shapes. There's the square when they, they seem like solid, stable, heavy characters. Um, and then there's the circle where they seem uh, these are often like main characters and that's i think was why mario is round her is because like they seem like main characters but they seem they seem safe and approachable um like kirby yeah like kirby (laughs) (laughs) um and then there's uh triangles and those seem more dangerous uh and uh scarier i suppose so like the shapes you use to, to to create your character can have an impact on how people will first their first immediate impressions of their character so that's something to keep in mind, I guess, while you're while you're designing. Mm-hmm. The other thing I was gonna mention is then, of course, the the classic Mario. Why does Mario wear overalls? And the only reason is so that in the graphics back in the day is so that you could distinguish where his arms were against <laughs> not a plain shirt, but against overalls. <laughs> yeah. But um, another thing that uh, that I learned from watching a bunch of commentary on Futurama episodes, the <laughs> other thing that you want in character design yeah. <laughs> is you want them to be unique. And, and in designing the Futurama characters, they wanted everybody's silhouettes to be immediately recognizable and different from each other's. Yeah. 
So that was interesting to me and, and something that is, is true for most video game characters. Very true. We've definitely designed uh, Vengeance characters to follow suit with that for the most part. I think the four main characters need work, but we're working on those. So, <laughs> but yeah, uh, but uh, having like a shorthand so that you can tell what things go with what or like what character is doing what. Yeah, yeah, they did that. They do that in League of Legends, uh, and in fact, like they've tried to. The, they've been remaking old characters that they made. A lot of the female characters that they had in League of Legends were like they basically had the same body type and stuff, so it was very difficult to tell each of them apart. Um, but they've been um, improving on that a lot. So like they've, I mean, they have different body types now, but also like they have fancy glowy things on their shoulders or, or a giant sword or something like that, that distinguishes them better. Um, Yeah. So you want to like avoid the gears of war thing where everybody's just a big, I'm Spartacus. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We don't need any more big boxy men. (laughs) So, I yeah. was, uh, if, if either of you ever read the um, Scott McCloud's Making Comics or Understanding Comics. I have not. Uh-uh. I'll link a link to the, them in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, his books are really interesting. They're about comics, not video games, but. Um, Same concepts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, he talks about in the character design chapters uh, about like, if you don't know where to start on making a set of characters to maybe start with something that. Uh, sets of things that already exist so like the elements like make each character off of like not necessarily a magic game with different elements but like one person's like super fiery and you know aggressive Mm -hmm. and then one person's like all about growth and the earth and stuff Mm -hmm. Um, or like making characters uh, based on animal metaphors so like someone who looks kind of fish like and playing off of um, cultural metaphors I guess which can get you in have problems with you know translating your game to other cultures sure. but uh is a good way to start from anyway for distinguishing different characters from each other mm-hmm. and then he also talked about like um how you're saying like shapes like sometimes playing the opposite to surprise people yeah so like his example was like a big beefy dude that you know looked like he was all about strength and stuff, but then he turns out to be the intellectual who reads poetry and (laughs) (laughs) Uh like beast Beast in X-Men. Oh yeah. 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 Like he looks like a beast and his name is beast. (laughs) He's the intellectual one. He's the professor. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's important. And I I like that. Like, uh, uh, you're bringing up like that, like a personality traits also intermingle well with like their, their visual aesthetic and how they look and stuff. I'm sure there's, there's, there's theories on like colors, that you use. I know that like red makes people seem like, or it makes a person feel more aggressive or makes them seem more aggressive. Whereas blue seems more like approachable or cool, uh, calming feeling. Uh, so I'm sure that like there's certain aesthetics to that, that they use like mercy, for example, is decked out in all white in, in overwatch and uh, makes her look like a nurse sort of. And like, that's what she does. Is she heals people in the game. Right. And I guess also like an angel too, because she has wings and stuff. Right. Yeah, I I don't play Overwatch, (laughs) 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 but I mean Overwatch is an example of a bunch of varied characters and stuff. But you can tell from a distance what they're about. Yeah, oh, that's a really good example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's um, each one has such a a different silhouette and a different style. Yeah, Um, and each 
those are cool because like each of them have powers um, and they go really well with the different personalities. Mm-hmm. Like um, Reinhardt's really strong, but he's also about protecting everybody. So he's got the big shield. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, trying to think of other uh, Luce- Lucio. Yeah. It's all about music. Right. Yeah. But he's, he's smaller and stuff. So like he doesn't seem super aggressive, but like he's got headphones on and he skates and stuff. So he, he's fast and mobile. Yeah, so like I think there's a lot of stuff to track in that game. Yeah, that's that's the thing I have an issue with in like fighting games, for example, because um, it's oftentimes difficult at a glance to determine what kinds of how these how this character is going to play, especially if your game doesn't have like weapons in it and stuff. So Tekken again, you know how much I like Tekken. <laughs> <laughs> it's real difficult to determine if this Tekken character has is like a long ranged fighter or not. You can kind of tell from their aesthetic, what they're going to be about. So, like, there's a ninja character in the game, and he's decked out in black and, like, has shades and stuff, but he looks more like Blade than he does a ninja. So, like, you don't you don't really know how he's going to play. He looks cool, I guess, but, like, you have, you have no idea how he's going to play. So it, it's difficult. Whereas, like, in Soul Calibur, they do a lot better of a job. And I think, like, maybe it's a little bit biased because I'm biased and I like Soul Calibur way more than Tekken. But... <laughs> But also Tekken has a bunch of different weapons and stuff in place. And you can tell from a glance that this person's got a long pole. So he's got long range or this person's got a short sword. So they've got a uh, short range. And so you can tell like the kinds of, you can tell right away from a glance, the kind of style that that person's going to be. Um, like if a person has a shield, then you know that they're going to be somewhat defensive or have like a counter or have counter moves and stuff. So like the, the that's the kind of thing you can think about. And I think it makes it more approachable for players when they're first starting the game. They can attach themselves to somebody who looks like the gameplay that they want from the game. Mm-hmm. So speaking of different ways of distinguishing besides visual, mm-hmm. uh, I was watching this talk by Anthony Birch who uh, wrote Borderlands 2 and pre-sequel and stuff. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about how he was specifically a talk about designing Tiny Tina and um, how his design approach is like from a writing perspective, writing dialogue and stuff, is that he want he finds one line if he can if he can say one line from the character uh, and have someone immediately understand exactly what that character is all about and how what their personality is like, mm-hmm. and then then he fi- then he knows that he's found. A good character. Okay. Oh. So just one line is, is like a boiling point is a, not a boiling point that boils down what this, who this character is. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So it can be like the, the that character's elevator pitch of their who they are. Yeah. Cool. No, I think that's that's good because like then people will know right away from a glance that this this character is this kind of this kind of person mm-hmm. or not person. I guess if you're making a character that's not a person. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of characters that aren't people, yeah. <laughs> oh. Fish, Stephen, how do you go about <laughs> yeah. designing characters for Fingence? Oh, sure. Uh, that is a good question. So my brother does art and stuff, uh, but we like collaborate with him on it. Um, we oftentimes will... Uh, I, th- I think that like we've, we've approached each character differently. So like Sparky, for example. Sparky! Uh, <laughs> we started, I think we started with a kit. Um, loadout for Charles and Lane because they don't like it when I say kit instead of loadout. Anyway, uh, 
we started with that, and 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 then we teleport. Built, yes, we started with the teleport and like a burst ability, uh, a lot of charging moves. Because I think Lane was into that at the moment. We started with that ability. We started with that kit, and then uh, we elaborated on that further, and then developed that into um, the character. Um, so like we we took like that how that kit made us feel when we were playing them, and how uh, how uh, that like translated into like. What kind of uh, fish? What kind of what aquatic creature would this character be? And so we we started with that, and or we we went towards that, and we were like, oh, eels are pretty sharp and staticky. And electric, stuff. <laughs> and electric, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then uh, we wanted to like, and then we went further and go like, this is this is more of a skill based character. So we want we wanted Sparky to feel more uh, um, pompous isn't the right word, but like like like. Conceited isn't the right word either. What's the word I'm looking for? Confident. Very confident. Overconfident. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, like, yeah, Sparky wants to be the best and basically feels like she is the best. So she uh, uh, will oftentimes say like, oh, I meant to do that when like you accidentally <laughs> run into a bullet or something like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, we, we built all of that in there. And now that's that's how Sparky is. That's That's the character. Um, but whereas like with other ones, we, we started with the design, uh, for the character. So like bubbles, for example, bubbles is, she's uh, a big, bigger fish. Um, and so like, she looks, she's bulkier than all of the other main characters. Um, and so we, we knew that we, like with that, we love that design right away, but we hadn't, we hadn't built a, a, a character around that yet. So, uh, what we did is we, we decided that like bubbles would be the one who wants to blow stuff up and get in people's face. Uh, and so like she has a giant cannon in her, in her art currently. And, uh, we, we, we made it so that she shoots, she like gets up in people's face. She's the, uh, the closest range character in the game. And so like, uh, she, she has to be up close to things and she wants to blow stuff up, but she's always constantly talking about blowing stuff up and being excited about that. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, like, uh, explosions. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So uh, we 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 just uh, I guess it just it depends on the character do we but like we've approached them in different ways and they've been um, a varying success most I th- I'd like to say that a lot of our characters um, right away feel like what what you're doing in game I'd like to say that anyway <laughs> but that's how we try to approach it that's really cool mm-hmm. I've just well my game is so far just my family member or characters of family members mm-hmm. so the extreme of their personalities mm-hmm. so that's been how i've been going about that so okay. far is that how you've like designed their, their whole look and stuff too is the yeah characters with them? okay basically and dale you aren't making a game but you've played a lot of games i i, so, I have done that <laughs> <laughs> what have been some memorable characters that you've played and why have you thought they had a good design that's an excellent question. <laughs> I assume we're just going to talk about The Witcher for the next 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> right. Well, I will totally put my own personality on a character. Mm. Illustrated by the fact that I didn't watch the first five seasons of Game of Thrones. I just jumped in on the sixth season and made up. <laughs> all the backstory for all the characters and did not care. <laughs> so given that, uh, 
Yes, Geralt of Rivia, of Witcher 3, <laughs> is an excellent character. <laughs> and I put my own little spin on him. So it's really funny to me when, like, me and Dylan are talking about Geralt, and, and Dylan says, Geralt's all husky and, and gruff, and he's like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's not my Geralt. My Geralt said, I'm Geralt. <laughs> you may recognize me from my Gwent card. <laughs> <laughs> and he's always flirting a little bit with the ladies. <laughs> and he's running around. Yeah. But I do like like little things in it. Like he always he has this horse that he names Roach. And so he's always like he's calling his horse and his horse like just appears out of nowhere because mm-hmm. it's a video game. <laughs> but the backstory on that is he's had previous horses. And they're all named Roach. <laughs> oh, that's weird. Okay. He's had a lot of previous horses? Yeah, because or- horses don't live as long as people. Yeah. And then then witchers, of all people, then live even longer. So Geralt's oh. like 300 years old. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, so he he's really old. Okay. He's been around the block. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he named all his horses Roach. So huh. That was really interesting. Uh, yeah. So then I go to other games, and now I theme all of my horses or my animals that I ride, and they're all named Roach. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> In the expansion sets, there's mm. this, the Blood and Wine expansion mm. set. There's this point where this artist like stops you on the street and is like, you're Geralt of Rivia. I would like to paint you. And you're like, okay. <laughs> well, I'm like, okay. You don't have to pick the okay. Yes, I'll paint you. And then he's like, meet me in the hills where we'll have a beautiful backdrop and I will paint you there. And I'm like, okay. And then what pose would you like to take? And like, what fancy armor are you going to wear in it? And mm. so, you know what I did? I took off my shirt <laughs> and I chose the recline boat. <laughs> and what's really funny is yeah. the game then like, then they have the big reveal and they're like, look what I do. And it's totally like a nude. Oh, wow. It's a nude. <laughs> and what's really funny is that's what I essentially wanted to say. Because <laughs> I took off my shirt and I did a reclining pose. <laughs> Like one of those draw me like one of your French girls situations. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then and then you know the games version of Geralt gets is like is all mad about it, and then the, <laughs> and then the artist is like, oh well, if you don't like it, you know, if and you if you don't want anybody else to have it, you can buy this painting from me for like you know a thousand monies or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, no, I want that to hang in my house. <laughs> So I bought it from him and it's yeah. hanging in my house. <laughs> that's <Nice>. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's cool. That like you, you created and developed a whole story based off of Geralt. Uh-huh. Um, there wasn't like a lot, I guess it like, there it, wasn't it, a lot going on. For yeah. You it, I mean, it gives you like clues and pieces and like mm-hmm. you like, it, it gives you choices yeah. and having not read, like there is background material, like it's based on novels, right. but like, you have this girlfriend and you're on the outs and I'm like, I don't know anything about this girlfriend. Do I want to get back together with her? Do I not? And so like you have all these choices to make based on no information about this ex-girlfriend and you have two of them and you're like, well, who should I choose? (laughs) You're like, I don't know anything about either of them other than one's a redhead and one has black hair. (laughs) And you're like, I don't know. (laughs) 
So you have to like develop the personality of Geralt based off of those decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. so you kind of like go around and do that. And and your <laughs> Geralt is a little bit different based on what decisions you made. Yeah. But yeah. I think that's I think that's cool. I mean, they do that in like Mass Effect games and stuff too, right? And you yep. have to make those decisions. And those decisions will determine not only how characters will treat you in the future, but what your the personality traits of your your uh, character is in mm-hmm. all of those games. So yeah, like I think that's not, those are aspects like the the blank slate character that you were talking about before, Dale. I think that that a, a lot of games um, do that, um, so like people can just impress their own personality traits or different personality traits onto those characters. Yeah, but with Geralt, you know, it's a predefined character. Mm-hmm. You know, Geralt has white hair and he's big and has a scar across his face mm-hmm. but in the mass effect you get to design your own shepherd right right yep so then you, you're a little more shepherd <laughs> or shepherd is a little more you yeah <laughs> and yet i'm the one who names all my horses roach <laughs> <laughs> yes Geralt has made quite an impression i see <laughs> wait how many horses do you have you can have a lot of horses in Breath of the Wild. That's true. You can have a lot of horses in Breath of the Wild. Are they all? Uh, did you play that game? And so no, all- that's not the game I'm talking about. Oh, oh it was my Chocobo <laughs> in oh. Final Fantasy 15. I'm like, I named him Roach. <laughs> nice. You can name your horse in Stardew Valley too. Yeah, I would name it Roach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's a that's a good point. Like in Final Fantasy 15, 15 16, which is the one with all the guys? Is it 15? 15? Yes. Um, I can't tell. Any of them apart. I have no idea which what the personalities of any of those characters what? are. But I, I'm not really, I don't really know their personality traits. Oh, okay. One is a big beefy guy. Okay. Who you can see his chest most of the time. Okay. That's GLaDOS. What? And he, <laughs> GLaDOS. His name is GLaDOS? Like yeah. GLaDOS? Like no. from Portal? No, not like that. It's, it's, is this a crossover? <laughs> no, 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 Okay. No. <laughs> um, um, and he is like your protector. He uh-huh. uses the big sword. Okay. Okay. Big guy. Okay. Big sword. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Big scar on his chest. Yeah. Protector. Uh-huh. Okay. And then then there then you're you as the hero are the prince and you're kind of skinny and you got this like emo look and like this like fancy hairdo. Mm-hmm. And then there's Ignis, and he is the smart one, and he wears glasses, so you know he's smart because stereotypes. Right. And he also has a fancy hairdo, but his hair is lighter, and he has, like, this British accent for no reason. Okay. Which is weird because you all grew up together. Like, you all went to high school together, but that one has a British accent. Okay. And he cooks for you and seems to know a lot. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Isn't there a fourth one? And then there's a fourth one, and that's Prompto, and he uh-huh. has no skills whatsoever, and <laughs> okay. is very self conscious about himself, and oh. he has like this blonde hair, okay. and he takes photographs. <laughs> he's self conscious of himself, but he takes photographs. Um, he's self conscious about not having like skills. Like he's oh, not okay. the cook, uh-huh. and he's not like really good at fighting. He's uh-huh. like the one with the least amount of hit points, so he's. Uh-huh. He is self-conscious that he do- he isn't like bringing anything to the like let's protect the prince team. Okay. Um and, but he does take photographs like he is the documentarian of your adventure. Oh. Also he has crushes on girls. <laughs> <laughs> very important. <laughs> very important stuff. Okay. But like does that does that do those personalities 
Are those portrayed through their their visual looks? Yep, they're portrayed through their visual looks. Okay, okay, I I, I just didn't know all of that, and so yeah, I, I, I had a hard just, time picturing any of that. Yeah, I think it's just because you haven't spent enough time seeing the game. That's true. I haven't mm-hmm. seen a lot of the game. I've seen a lot of the art and stuff, uh-huh. and like it looks visually impressive, but I just yeah, tell what and and some of it is it is it is the style kind of mm-hmm. brings everybody in. It's yeah. not super cartoony, and right. so everybody's more human looking, except for Glados, who's very very tall and beefy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to be fair, I guess with with Final Fantasy fifteen, you're supposed to spend a lot of time in the game, so you will. Uh, learn about these characters over time as well. You don't have to immediately understand what the characters are about when you first see them. Yeah, like, unlike in like Overwatch or something. Yeah, you're going on a road trip with these guys, right? Yeah. So those are the games I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Well, it sounds like uh, you like characters that have personalities, but that you can also put some of yourself into, mm-hmm. and also you seem to take a lot of the character back out into your life too (laughs) a little bit yeah (laughs) that's a that's a good sign of a good character then yeah Yeah. it's made an impression enough on you that like it changes a little bit of your life Uh uh-huh that's cool it's a dialogue between you and the character Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's our show if you haven't already subscribe to nice games club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or a nice like them (laughs) <laughs> i'm not that nice <laughs> we really do need to know you're out there so leave a review and tell all your friends too on itunes or wherever you get your podcast from and you can give us feedback on the feedback form which is nicegames.club slash feedback that's where you can tell everybody that you don't like me on the podcast <laughs> i'm excited to have mark back <laughs> that's not no please don't yeah don't do that <laughs> you're fine dale you can find out more about the show and your nice hosts, as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Yay! Yeah, this is going to be a good episode. I hope Marcus enjoyed this. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see this episode. Uh, I'm, I don't know. It was me. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.